My design challenge is not anymore making a product or a chair, but my design challenge now is how do you design a company in a way that's fit for the future. Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Boss Van Abel. He's the founder behind the repairable mobile phone maker, Fairphone, as well as The Click, a startup tackling food waste. He'll talk about how new thinking can lead to new models for change. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. It's not going to be easy, right? If you bump into a problem, you have to embrace it and cheer that you found something that you can improve. What if the next time your smartphone broke, you could fix it yourself? And what if you didn't feel the need to buy the latest gadget because your current device was easy to update? Fairphone, the world's first ethical smartphone, allows for exactly that. This phone works like any other Android phone, except with a modular design, easy repairs, and the ability to access spare parts. Beyond the devices themselves, the company focuses on rethinking the entire phone value chain, from materials to working conditions and reuse, helping to change the industry from within. Fairphone got its start not as a company, but as an awareness-raising campaign about conflict minerals. After all, in those days, Boss was a designer, not a social entrepreneur. But the work of redesigning people's relationship with products intrigued him, and he founded the company officially in 2013. This work has since been recognized by a number of global entities, including the UN with its Momentum for Change Award, and even by the World Economic Forum with his selection as a Schwab Foundation social entrepreneur. Our talk will give you a window into the complexity involved in changing the way we consume and the way we do business. It will also give you a window into the opportunity for change and a sense for what excites entrepreneurs like Boss when it comes to the possibilities available to design new business models that could reshape whole sectors and even help protect the world and its resources. He'll talk about all of that. But first, he'll talk about founding Fairphone, and the chance conversation that made him an entrepreneur. Fairphone started as a campaign, actually. And we've never started it as a company in itself. You know, it wasn't the goal. Uh, it's just a means to an end. In 2011, I was asked uh, by a friend of mine, I was working in technology, and um, uh, he asked me, you know, do you know what kind of stuff goes on and all that stuff that you use in technology? You know, that goes from server farms to phones to anything. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, the millions of people have died in, in conflicts related to the mining these minerals. And we use them in our phones, you know, amongst other electronics. And this was 2011. It was totally not on the radar. We all know that there are supply chains and that, you know, we got alienated from stuff that's happening at the other side of the world. But in the end, and that is the fascinating part, you know, stuff just comes from the ground. Everything around you, everything we use, it, uh, you know, if you really think about it, we are able to make something out of rocks and stones through our economic system, through working together, can make something as complex as a phone or a computer, uh, which we wouldn't be able to do ourselves. And I think that paradox of, you know, something as complex of, you know, as a phone, being able to make that through the economic system, uh, something as personal as a phone, and, and then on the other side, not knowing anything about it, really intrigued me. And, and you know, up to the point that I thought, you know, how, how, you know, how are we going to tell that story of the origin 
and also the you know the problems that are connected to the origin. And as you can imagine, it's, it's kind of a tough question because you know there wasn't an easy answer. And when you set up a campaign, there's two things you can do: either you make people angry, you know, and then uh, then they change something. Uh, so for that, you need a bad guy. Well, we didn't have a bad guy. It wasn't as simple as saying guys are doing it wrong. It's a bit more complicated than that. And we didn't have the solution, so we couldn't also say, well, here's the solution. That's you know. You, you, know, you buy this alternative or you do, do this or you know, sign a petition and it will solve the problem. What we did is we said, well, we're going to take it you know, somewhat strategically naive. We are going to set up a company making a phone. We'll start in Congo, you know, where most of the problems uh, are, are actually uh, you know, originating from in, in terms of conflict of minerals. And we're going to look at the world through the eyes of a phone and step by step, we're going to look at you know, what we see and what we can do about it. And maybe we can actually improve things. And uh, you know, in the worst case, it's a great campaign to really connect people with what's happening. In the best case, we may come up with a product that is actually an alternative to what's happening now. So that's just how we started. We, you know, I made a business card. Uh, we made business cards saying, you know, CEO uh, of Fairphone. We didn't even have a company. We went to Congo. First thing we had to do was bribe, uh, bribe some people to actually be able to film. And you can imagine, you know, if that's the first thing you need to do, starting something as, uh, you know, called Fairphone, uh, you you know that you're in for a for a tough ride. So it was really, you know, it was it was that kind of uh, bluntness of just doing it, and also facing, you know, these these kind of problems like bribery, child labor, all these things that are actually very common in these areas. And we were telling about it. We were super transparent. We showed the problems, but we didn't have a product yet. It was really about showing the origin of the product and me as you know my background is design and really as a designer it was such a fascinating experience to be in a mine holding a stone in your hands seeing you know all these people also you know working there without any protection like hundreds of thousands of people still work without protection to get these minerals out of the ground we took some of these stones we took them back to holland and um and we used the stone to convince people that um you know, that, that was going to be a phone, the first Fairphone, uh, which, um, yeah, which we were about to make. You're hailed as, the, of course, the first ethical smartphone. Tell us what the converse is, right? What is, is the goal and the ideal? Give us that contrast. A phone is a complex product, right? It's not a banana. It's not like something that grows on a tree and you have a very straightforward uh, supply chain. Even bananas, you know, it took, took like 20, 30 years to get that into a fair trade mechanism, right? So so now with the phone, we're talking about more than 60 minerals that are mined all around the world. You're talking about, you know, uh, if you look at the bit of material, which is the list of components that we have in the factory where we assemble the phone, it's over a thousand components. And these thousand components are made by you know, hundreds of factories who have also suppliers, hundreds and hundreds. So it's over thousands of factories already. So being able to change that, you know, one of the things that when we started Fairphone was like, if you want to create a fair phone, and you want to do everything right from the start, you have to create world peace, and then you can create a fair phone. So it wasn't our goal to say, well, we're, we're going to be solving all the problems. No, it's a progress. It's, it's step by step. So we had to define, like, how are we going to approach this? Because the, you know, the problem is so complex. Um, we need to like, break it down into certain areas. So uh, you know, up till now, we actually have four areas that we focus on, and one of them is the materials. 
know, you can the mining. Where do they come from? Conflict-free materials. Uh, uh, make sure that there's no child labor connected to the materials. Just to give you a small example, most of the cobalt, which we use in batteries, is coming from areas in the Congo where there's still 250, 300,000 people working unprotected. There's tens of thousands of children still working in these mines. And lithium cobalt is being used as the main material for our energy transition. So on the one hand, we're approaching sustainability through like speeding up all these, these transitions, but it needs materials. And these materials, you can't find them already by recycling. You have to get to the origin. So by going to the origin, and really looking at the problems there, you're not only solving problems and you're addressing problems for the electronics industry, it goes even further. It goes to, you know, goes to the electric driving industry. It goes to all the industries that use materials, which is basically you know, everything we see around us. So materials are a really important area that we focus on. And uh, right now we have like 14 focus materials, but there's, like I said, there's more than 60 materials in there. And we take them from recycled resources. We take them from virgin resources like mines. And we make sure that there's a right balance there in terms of everything we do with these materials in our products, going from working conditions all the way to the environmental footprint. So that's one area. We have an area where we focus on uh, how things are manufactured. You can imagine the, you know, the problems in, uh, or the challenges, I would say, in, in, in factories are different from the challenges in mines. You know, in factories, you're dealing with, uh, you know, people working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, overtime issues. You know, we're one of the, well, actually, I think we're the only one that, that, that is really focusing on living wage and actually pays a living wage in the factories that we work with. Obviously, we can't do all the factories. You know, as I said, we're working with thousands of factories. So how we approach it, we do one factory, we do two factories, and we show that it's possible. We take also other part, you know, other uh, companies that work in these areas and we ask them to join, right? So that's, that's how we scale. We know that we are a small player, but we also know that we have a good, bro good broker position to get other companies to join the programs that we're doing. Same, you know, like I said, in mining, we now got uh, even Google, Tesla, all these big companies to join us uh, on these, these uh, fair cobalt uh, initiatives that we set up. I think that's one of the most important areas because, we're, you know, of course, we have also an area where we focus on recycling. But, you know, I, I just want to go ahead of that. Um, recycling, recycling is plainly stupid, right? It's a stupid process. It's just, you know, it's just getting the stuff back, which, you know, which we've, uh, you know, producing, it takes most of the, the energy, it takes most of the footprint. And then we're, you know, we're producing, 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 put, you know, as much as possible into the, uh, into the market. And then we take back the stuff, we shove it in the oven, and we, you know, and we melt it and take out the materials. It's just, you know, it's, it's a very stupid process especially with electronics. So what you want to do, and that's why, you know, the most important, I think, in terms of the ecological footprint of the phone is on longevity. We really focus, and this is, this is really, but it's really against all the trends in the industry uh, to focus on, you know, let people use the product as long as possible. It's a very fast cycle. It, you know, it, technology has been fast cycled. It is fast cycled. There's a reason for that, there's innovations, but hey, you know, phones are a commodity. You know, it's, there's incremental changes. We are at a point that we can use phones for a very long time. So, you know, we focus on how do we make people use their phone as long as possible? Because it's a simple calculation. If you use your, your phone twice as long, you only need to produce half the amount of phones and you have half the amount of e-waste.
and you don't need to make phones which are made in you know areas like congo we don't need to take the minerals out of the ground where there's child labor and all this shit going on so you know everything is kind of connected to that that is really important but it's a huge challenge so we work on two two basic elements there and that is make sure that we have a phone that people can use longer we're kind of suffering from phone anorexia right we want to have like really thin thin products and uh you know the thinner they get the more difficult it gets to all you know to scram all this these components inside so what we do is we just you know we just glue them to the inside you can't open them there's a special robot for that that you know, has to open the phone and the problem with that is that you know you, you basically build a threshold for people to change their battery like the, the quality of the battery the battery life goes down after two years it's just how it is we can't make batteries yet that go longer whereas you could easily use the phone for five years after two years you know your battery goes dead and you think like oh it cost me a lot of money not going to change it your carrier says you know uh, your subscription ends you want to have a new phone and you say well yes give me the phone and then you toss it in the drawer and uh, you think oh you, you might need it sometimes only 15 percent of the phones get recycled that way so the problem, you know, is really on making it very easy for people to use, you know, to hold on to that phone very long. So that's why we made modular phones. So people can actually change the battery themselves. Like if you break the screen, you can replace the screen. You just buy a screen online, it gets shipped to you and you replace it just with a screwdriver. We even, we even ship the phones with a screwdriver for that reason. But it's also connected to the other element and it is you want people to actually use, want to use that phone longer. We can make phones that last longer, but then, you know, if people they see a new shiny model that they want. So that's why we, we focus also on caring for your products. And we believe if you really show people the inside of the products, show the connections with where it's, where it's coming from, you know, these kind of things go hand in hand and people start caring more for their products. You had talked about the extending the life of the phone. What is the change people could see? You know, because now people maybe only keep them for maybe two years, maybe three years, depending. But what might we see or what could the ideal be? Well, the ideal would be to use it as long as possible in terms of the technology and the software, right? Uh, one of the things is software is, is, is a big issue because many of the chipsets are being, you know, the chipset basically is the, you know, the brain of the phone and where the communication happens. They don't get supported after one or two years. On the other hand, we see that the phone is actually you know, well capable for 90% of the people to, to last for like you know, uh, five to 10 years. Like I said, it's, it's kind of a commoditized product and uh, your WhatsApp is not going to go faster if you have you know, 16 processors instead of eight. One of the things that do, does still make progress is, for example, camera. So that's also why we made upgrades in the phone. So because it's a modular phone, you know, apart from the repairability, we also made it easy if people, uh, you know, if people see that there's a better camera, they don't need to buy the whole phone. They just need to buy that part. So that's, that's one element. People can actually use that phone longer. But the main challenge is really how does industry also align with, you know, their business models with sustainability. And there, there's no easy solution there, right? We just launched a program where we can, you know, we align the business model, our business model more with, with our mission, which is that we want people to use their phone as long as possible, but in some weird way, you know, we, we still make money from selling you as many phones as possible. So with easy, we uh, use a subscription model. So you basically buy, you know, you don't buy the phone, you, you rent the phone. And uh, the great thing about that is that as a company, we're now intrinsically motivated to have you keep that phone as long as possible. Because normally, I, you know, 
I don't want you to come back with complaints about your phone because you only cost me money. Once I've sold you the phone, I want you to come back as soon as possible to buy your next phone because that's basically making me money. That's purely from a business side. So one of the main challenges there is also to make sure that we, we run the businesses in a way that we don't shoot ourselves in the foot every time with also you know, having a sustainable model. And I think you know, it doesn't go for, you, know, you can still ask yourself, is this, is this workable for, for you know, manufacturers? You, know, you can go into remanufacturing, for example. You know, if the phones are designed in such a way that companies, you know, that, that parts of the phone that do get old, are, you know, you're able to, to replace them, the manufacturing process is still going on. The materials stay in the supply chain and you make new products out of that. That's the biggest challenge in which, which needs to happen. I don't think there will be any phone producer that will say on stage to their shareholders, guys, listen, we're going to produce only the half amount of phones that we produced last year because it's better for, you know, better for the world. <laughs> It works if you say we're going to produce only the half the amount of phones we produced last year and we're going to make double the profit. And that's really where we have to find the solution. Apart from that, obviously, there will be technological in innovations that will be important. And at certain points, you know, phones will get old. But right now, it's only two to three years that you set, and, and, and that's basically ridiculous because, you know, a lot of people can use their phone longer. One of the really interesting things about this time is that people are realizing, yes, we need to embrace new ways of working, new ways of buying, living, consuming. Is it exciting to think that, like, gosh, you know, this could be scaled out all around? All kinds of industries now have a reason to go think of another sort of new way of working. Is that exciting for you? What is that like? It's a bit of a no-brainer, to be honest, of course. People want to have purposeful jobs and they want to have a nice job. So it's a combination of you know, being able to work in an environment where you make a difference and also you know, do the work you like. You know, companies are getting more and getting better and better at that, just you know, providing that kind of environment. It's also a system change, you know, right? So it's, it's, you know, it's the consumer demand. You know, customers you know, want to have new kinds of products. They want to keep their products longer. Shareholders have to accept the fact that the returns you know, might be a bit different because of the growth. Right? And then you know, there will be other, way, other ways of making money, as, and, but that will only happen if we disconnect it from using the resources. So there has to be a change in terms of how we make money. And if that happens, you can have that whole capitalist model you know, really working well again. The only problem with I, what I have is with companies at the moment is that companies are basically set up as sociopaths, right? Well, there's not really a lot of human thinking in the operation, in the operating system of the company. So I don't say the people working there are sociopaths. It's just like the construct of a company. It doesn't take into account what humans are really, really well capable of on a philosophical level. And it is with everything we create, we also destroy. We do have a footprint. We just have that. I also believe that I'm creating in this world. We, are, we as human beings are very well capable of finding a balance. Companies are not. So what I see with social enterprises, you know, that the right conversations are happening. Up to the boardroom, uh, we are, you know, we're talking about how do we make sure we survive? The dilemmas that come with that are beautiful if you can actually have them in a company and discuss them. Put them in your KPIs, you know, just uh, your key performance indicators, just how do you run a company, where do you measure success? We measure success, the more phones we sell, the better, because we want to show that there is a market for ethical products. But we also you know, make sure that we want people to use the phone as long as possible. And this is like, this is, this is a bomb in the head of a, of a salesperson because the salesperson has to go, oh shit, I, I have to sell as many phones as possible. It's great, but I can't sell them to people that already have a phone. How am I going to do that? 
And then you have to create your know, creative thinking. And also you challenge yourself in terms of, of the dilemmas that we really have to embrace in this time that we're living now. We can always say there's a win-win, there should be win-win, but the win-wins are easy. The win-wins are just business as usual, right? If you can make money through sustainability, well, you know, it's just doing business. But what, you know, what if you really have a dilemma and you have to think uh, as a human being around these things and, you know, it really becomes a challenge. That is what you want in a company for the future because that's what really keeps people busy and that's what you know, keeps people also aligned with what the company stands for. What is the capability that companies are going to need to build to make sure that they can consider these new ways of working, that they can move towards a system change, basically destroy everything that made them successful right now so that they can create a new way of, of walking and talking? What, what, what is the, maybe the first step or the capability that they need to build? I think we have to, we have to let go uh, of one thing that really you know, messed a lot of things up in the supply chain is that you know, everything is about efficiency. Efficiency, 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 you know, cost reduction, cost reduction. You know, it's killing a lot of the joy also in, in not only the work, but also you know, what you can accomplish and also the extra time you can spend on really you know, finding out these questions and things. I think a great example, we were running a crowdfunding in two, back in 2016, I believe, 16, 17. We sold over 10 million worth of uh, phones that we, didn't, we hadn't produced yet. So it was a pre-sales campaign. We were two, three months late in delivering these phones that we promised to people that were already waiting for half, for half a year for these phones. And at that moment, the factory calls us like, we, we have a problem. <laughs> we're going to be delayed another two months. But we've discussed it here internally, and we also have a solution. The solution is that we're going to get some agency workers in, make overtime, and we're going to catch up. Or delay will only be two weeks. The problem with that was that all this overtime I mean, you know, and all this pressure that you put on, put, on, put on people and all the problems that come with you know, hiring um, you know, people that without an employment contract to do temporarily work. So at that point, it would solve our problem with you know, people that are already asking for the phone, you know, where the hell is it? And you've promised it. You're your customer. And on the other hand, your supply chain and what you stand for. And it was a tough, you know, it was really a tough decision. We were really like, where do we stand for? And that moment was really, for me, it was really an eye opener. It, was, you know, it really felt good to make the decision to say, well, we are Fairphone and we're standing, you know, we want to have better working conditions. And this is exactly the problem. We messed up as a company. We're not going to solve it by pushing down the supply chain to, to make it more efficient, to make it faster, to really get it done. Because, you know, in the end, you know, we are responsible. So I wrote an email, sent it to all the customers waiting, and uh, it was really fingers crossed because we knew this might actually really kill the company because people went just say, well, then I want my money back. Um, but you know, the magical thing happened. We got three people that canceled their, their, pre, their pre-sales uh, because they really needed a phone. And we got so much good feedback on uh, the decision that we made. And I, you know, we, were, we were really happy about having had that you know, discussion inside the company. And even if we'd be chosen differently, I think being open about why you decide these things, what kind of problems you're facing, that is really important. I think now, you know, in a time where we see that, uh, that we are able to, to, you know, to show more transparency because of the media, uh, because of social media, because of everything happening, we could also embrace a bit, bit more vulnerability as a company and not 
go for efficiency all the time. What was that like in that moment before you, you pressed send? What, what were you feeling? Well, I, I, I felt proud, to be honest. I really felt proud of the team and, and us being able to take such a hard decision and just you know, deal with the consequences. There have also been moments where we, we took decisions which we had to take. Uh, you know, reorganizing the company, letting people go, you know, letting, it's, it's really those kind of things that the company also needs to do. No, you can't, you can't make it like one big uh, kumbaya here. It's still a, you know, a commercial enterprise. I think balancing that is, is, is really what, uh, what is nice. Um, and, it, you know, there's a cost to it as well. The cost, you know, for any company would be, well, the decision making is slower. Like if people are more aligned with the mission and their values are really into that, you know, it, you know, people are very strong, strongly opinionated about all kinds of things. You can't just go and, and, and not communicate about things. That's also something, if you ask what do companies, you know, future, future companies need to really embrace is the vulnerability. It's also letting go that, again, that kind of efficiency that you want, ultimate efficiency in the decision making, everything, because it also alienates people. It also alienates your suppliers from you because you're just pushing problems down the throat of other people. So other people who maybe don't have such a, maybe a strong sense of conviction or try to build that sense of conviction, what should they be asking themselves to sort of stay on the path that they, they set in the, initially? What should they be doing to kind of keep, give themselves a gut check? Yeah, I think, I think the gut check is one thing. People are people and people are very, like I said, people are very well capable of, of facing dilemmas and dealing with it, right? We do that all the time. The only thing is that we haven't, we haven't set up our companies that way. And I think it starts not only with, you know, how you run the management team, what kind of KPIs you put in the company, how, what kind of mission you have. It's really the governance of the company. Even. It's how, you know, what kind of shareholders do you have? Uh, what do shareholders expect from you? We see that now with, with integrated reporting and everything coming up, that also shareholders taking a different approach to companies. Customers taking a different approach to companies. Employees taking a different approach to companies. The thing you need to do as a company is, okay, but what would be that operating system that fits with that changing landscape? And there are, you know, there are many ways of looking at it, but I, I, I believe, really believe you have to go all the way. You have to go, you have to really do it throughout the company, not just say we're going to put some sustainability KPIs. No, it has to be the DNA of the company. And that is really easier. <laughs> For me to say, because we've been setting up companies as social enterprises from the start, investors knew what they're getting into, customers, you know, they, they knew what, why they bought the product. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> that I don't run a big, you know, multinational where, where these kind of things need to change. And if you just look at, you know, what uh, Paul Polman did, for example, with Unilever uh, uh, and the work that has been done in these big companies, it is tough. You know, on the one hand, you see a lot of success, but on the other hand, like even Danone going B Corp, you know, all these things that companies are really trying, but you also see that it's, it's tough and it doesn't come easy. And I think that's really what you, you have to put yourself into, like, okay, it's not going to be easy, right? And, and enjoy the ride. If you bump into a problem, if it's about these kind of dilemmas, you have to embrace it and cheer that you found something that you can actually, you can improve. You have a new startup that's tackling food waste. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I stopped as a CEO in Fairphone when the company got like around 20, 30 million, up to 80, 90 people. And, uh, you know, I like to set up things and I'm really good at, uh, you know, building, building something from scratch. So there's a difference between scaling a company and, and starting a company. I'm, I have to be really good at starting companies. Yeah, I'm still involved in Fairphone on PR, but also a strategy. I'm still on the board. But next to that, I founded The Click. And uh, one of the things I also wanted to, I wanted to stay close to home because I've, you know, I have three kids, didn't see them that much during Fairphone, traveled all around the world, which was fantastic. 
uh, I want to set up something very close. I want to also focus on local supply chains. And uh, a very local supply chain that we're dealing with now is, uh, I don't know, the click, uh, even the word, the click in Dutch, klikje, means leftover. And uh, we have a leftover problem, food leftovers, right? So if you go to a restaurant, if you prepare the food, there's leftovers. Uh, if you don't eat the food, there's leftovers. Right now, all these leftovers are you know, put on one big pile with the rest of the waste being collected in big trucks. It's been driven to the incinerator, it's burned, and it's gone. And that's a shame because it's really a waste because a lot of the stuff that we see as leftovers can be used in a different, much more valuable way. To do that, you have to separate it. So what we do as Click is we help professional restaurants to separate organics, like orange peels, leftover with coffee, uncooked food, or cooked food. We bring it to the hub with electric vehicles. We make compost from most of the stuff. We grow mushrooms on the coffee. We take oil with partners from the, the, the orange peels. And with that, we also make new products. We give the compost to farmers, farmers make new products from that, and the crops and everything and the produce that comes from that, uh, and the beers we make with the oils and the snacks we make with the mushrooms, we sell them back to the restaurants. So this is a super local supply chain where we, you know, where we try to keep the minerals and the values and everything of these organics yeah, as valuable and as high in a circular ladder as possible. Having already done one startup that had some circular elements to it, right? What did you learn? What did you learn? What's been helping you? Well, first of all, um, I'm, I'm CFO now in the, in the clique. Uh, and I've done art school. I've done technical university. I've never done anything with finance. But I really learned through Fairphone how important finance is. So I, I love it now. And really to the point, not that the numbers matter really a lot to me but you can really read the company. And, and the click is, is, is a complex one, right? It's very expensive. Uh, the costs are very high for us to do something, which, you know, why, why do people burn waste and you know, get a bit of energy out of it instead of using it in this way? It's because it's cheaper. So we go, we go against the, uh, the logic of the economic system. We are very aligned with the logic of an ecological system, but not an economical system. So we have to make money based on doing something that nobody does because it's just, you know, the business model doesn't go. Um, so that's why we, we came up with the model of selling back also the products to our customers. The cost of having customers is actually very low on the products. We make five, five times more revenue money on selling these products than we make on the waste contracts we have with these restaurants. So what I really learned there is that we have to, you know, we really have to make sure that the company is, is self-sufficient, economically sustainable uh, to be able to scale. Fairphone is at a stage that we're profitable now. It took a long time, but it's also, you know, it has been really a fight also in finding out what would be the right you know, way to finance it. We never had really you know, a huge problem with revenues. We had a problem with the supply chain. It opened up my eyes how important it is that your business case uh, starts, starts working to be able to really go and do what you want to do in, in terms of creating impact. Um, the second thing I really learned was, and it's, you know, it's not that it went wrong with Fairphone, but something I really wanted to do is to separate money from power. The whole venture capital uh, model is flawed. It's usually flawed for social enterprises. Why? Because you know, the venture capital business model is put money in a company and then get shares and then sell those shares after five to maximum 10 years. Uh, so basically their model is based on selling shares. The problem with that is the shares they sell, there's voting rights connected to that. So what happens is that you know exactly five years from now, my company will be 
sold by investors to the highest bidder. So it becomes a bag of potatoes, basically, that's just you know, sold you know, on the market. And of course, you know, the investors you have now are all impact investors, but you never know who's, who's next. It might not be the wrong party, but it might well be you know, a big company from the old economy. So you're setting up something in the new economy, you want to change things, and then you're being sold after five years to you know, a waste company in terms of like click, because your shareholders want to sell to a strategic investor. So we didn't want that. So we said, we're going to make, you know, we're only going to issue shares without voting rights. Uh, the problem then is that shareholder investors say, well, how are we going to sell those shares? Well, you can't because nobody wants those shares. We told them we're going to buy back the shares. And that one, that was really beautiful because all of a sudden we had a discussion about, okay, you look at the company and you have to look at how much the company will be able to actually pay back. So you're looking at real value not the speculative one that many of the startups are dealing with. Many startups, they just blow up, like they go bigger and bigger and bigger in valuation purely because the shares are being sold at a higher price all of the time. It has nothing to do with revenue. And now we have really had to look at, okay, how much money are we able to generate? And one other thing is that we've capped it. So we say, you know, you get three, four times back your money, you know, the amount you put in within five to 12 years. You know, one element to that as well is that um, we don't want money to be extracted from the economic system uh, or not you know, a lot of money. We want it to be capped and also goes for me as a founder. And then, you know, the money that stays in the company can be used for the impact. That's one thing that we learned. I think we've got, we were able to find, you know, to find investors based on that. And I think it's, you know, it's been a very progressive model. And that's also what I've been talking about earlier that what should you do with a company if you want to create a company for the future? I think these are the things. My design challenge is now is not anymore making a product or a chair, but my design challenge now is how do you design a company in a way that's fit for the future? I think this is a really important element to it. And on a, on a personal note, you know, with Fairphone, I've been the, the only director for the first five to six years. doesn't mean that you know, there were many people involved into making it success. But it weighed, it weighed quite heavy on me that I was the only board member. And with the click, I started it uh, with two other people and we have a fantastic team. So, uh, so that also uh, took away a bit of the pressure that I was experiencing uh, when I was doing Fairphone. What advice uh, would you have given yourself? If you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself? Just go for it. Just go for it. I think the strategically naive uh, attitude we had um, I, I wouldn't want to change that. I, I know I was, uh, we were doing crowdfunding to get Fairphone off the ground. So you have to imagine I was a designer, you're an artist, uh, did art school and, you know, and technician. And then all of a sudden, when the crowdfunding started, we had sold 25,000 phones and we had seven and a half million euros on our bank account. And to be honest, I had no idea what we were doing. We never made a phone before. I never ran a company. I, even, I never even ran a team, right? So I was laying in bed, was crying, <laughs> panicking, to be honest. And my, uh, my wife was next to me and uh, I said, oh, we're going to pay back everybody the money. And we made our statement. And I think that, you know, we, they got the point. There is a market for ethical products. And now that you know, the big ones do it. Uh, the campaign is a success. And then she looked at me and she said, you pussy. <laughs> You, you, you are going to set up that company and you're, you, you will never get this chance again. You will never do it again. If I'd known what I was, you know, what was waiting for me at that time, I would have really pussied it out, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, you know, I got, I got the best advice from my wife to, uh, you know, to take the chance, do it, not think too much about it and just go for it. And, you know, with the support from my family, it has been like a fantastic time. 
and I, I wouldn't have wanted things to be different, except for, you know, maybe some things I learned, a better financial strategy, uh, take care of yourself because you will, you know, I ran into a burnout, I ran, you know, I had all, this, all the things that you can, you can imagine, you know, just taking too much on your plate, but I wouldn't have wanted to miss anything. Do you think that your background as an artist helped you think more how to either structure the company or even this this new startup because you weren't locked into maybe systems that you had learned uh, and formats that were maybe tried and true for other economies, frankly. But do you think that helped you sort of build something new? Yeah, it, it helped to, to do the impossible or to believe in the impossible, right? We went around to operators and uh, so to carriers and to phone manufacturers you know, with the idea and asked them, you know, what do you think about it? And they, they say, you're nuts. Like the, the, whole, the whole industry is saturated. There's only two big players and nobody makes money, uh, you know, except for one big company. And now you're going into a market which is totally locked and there's no, you know, and it's difficult to make phones. So what are you thinking? But, uh, but we all said, well, we're going to do it anyway. And because it was so impossible uh, and because we were so naive in a way, uh, we got a lot of support. It was like, okay, but let's, you know, I don't want this guy to really hit the wall and let's help him a bit. So we got help from Deutsche Telekom. We got help from you know, Dutch operators. We asked for help because, you know, in the eyes of the industry, we were stupid. I think that really helped also for other players to really know that we were not in it, to be in their way. We were really in it to find uh, a way forward for the whole industry. And I, I always have seen Fairphone, my, my background is open source software development as well. And one of the beautiful things about open source software development is that you see it as a platform and everybody contributes. If you contribute uh, and you also see the result of that, you create ownership. And I think we've been able to, to make Fairphone a bit like that, to create it as a platform, a safe space, also for other companies to do things that they would normally not, never do. Like, for example, Tesla and Google and all these big guys you know, joining these programs in Congo. You know, we are a, a, a very special phone company because of, because of our size. We're not you know, a huge competition to these guys. And because of our mission, uh, it helps the whole industry. It really, uh, I think that really made a difference. And now I have to be honest, it's, it's really a blessing. You know, it, it's, it's really a blessing that we have a lot of people that actually know how to make phones and, and, and uh, know how to run a company and all these kind of things. So, uh, you know, we've grown up, but I think at the time it was really needed. Is there a book that you recommend? Something that you think, Yash, everybody should read this. I love uh, uh, The Human Condition, Hannah Arendt. It's a bit, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very heavy stuff. But I think one of the most beautiful things she does in that book is, 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 is she's a political philosopher, right? Um, she is really about, you know, she talks about the commons and, and the private and, uh, you know, and the, the combination between that. And it's basically about finding that balance, right? It's what's good for me, what's good for everyone. And that's what sustainability is also about. And one of the things she says about it is that uh, politics basically is, you know, is the, the arena of where you try to find the connection between the commons and the private. And, and then to do that, you know, it's storytelling. And it really opened up my eyes in a way, you know, uh, how to look at Fairphone as well. And I think, you know, looking at Fairphone, uh, I really also see it as a political object in that sense, if you believe that politics is about closing the gap between what's good for me and what's good for everyone. That was Boss von Abel. Thanks to him, and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club Podcast, is available at wef.ch podcasts. 
This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me with Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.